world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. It's the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We're going to talk about some comic books that we read, and we read them in a timely fashion so that we had the opportunity to really think about them, maybe for like a couple of days, so that our opinions and thoughts could really coalesce, and we would have a real, you know, solid understanding of what we think of the comic, and we wouldn't just be going off of our gut impressions. Hey, Aldo, are you, do you feel targeted at all? Right I now? feel extremely attacked I'm, right now. I'm feeling very attacked as well. I feel assaulted, even. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... Emotionally, like, mentally. Yeah, this is like a pointed... This is a barbed jibe at our expense, because I didn't say it on the chat. I also read these today. Hmm, hmm. In my defense, only one of those books got read uh, an hour and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we said, that's, that just means it's going to be fresh in your memory, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go for accuracy over emotions. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to like, give anyone listening to this, you know, we don't want to tell them how to feel. Yeah, I I try I try to be as objective as possible when it comes to judging comic books, because mm-hmm. they are totally objective. There's nothing subjective about comic books. Indeed, mm. nothing at all. <laughs> Get Let's it? Hold on to that because I have some very objective opinions about Iron Man. I have very objective <laughs> opinions about the book I read an hour and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, which one should we start with? Iron Man. All right, let's do it. We're going to start by talking about the Demon in the Bottle storyline. Yeah. Demon in a bottle. I'm a demon in a bottle, baby. Oh, my you, gosh. You rat bat. You son of a... <laughs> I... Well... <sighs> hear this? This is... This is my entire... This is my entire Christina Aguilera Demon in a Bottle parody song gone. Because you <laughs> stepped on it. You, you know what kills me the most is that did not pop into my head once. It has been in my head since we said, "Hey, which one should we read?" Like, and I was like, "Demon in a bottle," and then it was like, "I'm a demon in a bottle, baby. Gotta drink me the right way." <laughs> Steven, I ca- I've I don't know if I've ever been mad at you, and here we are. Oh, you have. Definitely. What are you talking about? That's a staple a of this podcast. A disagreement. <laughs> Listen. Disagreeing with someone doesn't mean you're angry with them. And even now, Stephen, I'm not. I'm not angry. I'm just. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Makes it sound like it's a personal failing that I thought of the same joke as you. No, it's that you you have a friend on a podcast who's known for for doing bits and gimmicks and generally dicking around and and you and you and you 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 stepped on it. You just. <sighs> I thought podcasts were specifically like designed for bits and jokes. Like yeah, that but... is the reason that you podcast. Yeah, but but the, but my jokes, Stephen. 
Not sure. We have we have roles. We have roles to play, and you've gone off book. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be this whole thing Aldo and I were going to riff on, and you were going to slowly lose your patience until you said, "Hey, so David Michelin and Bob Layton wrote these books, <laughs> and John Romita Jr. and Bob Layton." Bob Layton, uh, you know, we're real them. close to that happening anyway. <laughs> yeah, I like to call him Junior Junior because we're that close. Yeah. <laughs> um, variety of art. Uh, so, is it David Michelin? Michelini? I think it's Michelini. I don't actually know how to pronounce. That I think one. there's an there's an IE at the end, so I would assume it's Michelini. Michelini. John John Romita Junior. and Bob Layton drew it, and Carmine Infantino, and Bob Layton also did the inking. Um, John Costanza was the letterer, Ben Sean and Carl Gafford were the colorists. This came out, if you couldn't tell by how it's written in the in the seventies, March to November nineteen seventy nine. And spoiler alert, the demon in the bottle arc is it that's just the last issue of this whole arc we read. We read nine comics and the only one that really is a is about his alcohol there's like little hints of it throughout, but it's just like it's just like uh, a few days in the life of Iron Man, and then a special episode where we talk about booze. I yeah, so, but I mean they kind of they kind of lead into it like softly. Yeah, and and but, and it was I think it was well done, but like I I was I I think this is me dealing with what I was expecting it to be and what it actually was. That's fair. So my fault, but um, it starts off Tony Stark, and this is at a point when Tony Stark and. Iron Man are thought of as two different people, and Iron Man is his bodyguard, and he's playing the part of he's just Tony Stark, and um, a tank hits his plane while he's chatting up a stewardess and trying to get more booze. So I guess you know there are little hints of it. You should you should have a drinking game every time he's drinking in the comic and see how. Uh, yeah, but how, uh, but then you end up like Tony Stark. Oh no! <laughs> so <laughs> turns out there are. Bad guys on an island looking for vibranium. Iron Man and Namor team up to fight them. They uh, destroy the island so that there's no evidence that they were ever there. Um, Iron Man, as he's flying home, taking the long way, I guess, uh, his uh, his suit begins to malfunction. Uh, he tests it. Everything's fine. He goes to a casino with uh, Bethany Cabe, who is, along with Rhodey, uh, part of his kind of security team. Um, they're attacked as uh, three costume uh, hero, or villains try to rob the place, um, and Tony beats them, of course. But they were hired by uh, Justin Hammer, um, who is kind of the, the man behind the curtain of, of this whole arc, um, trying to get at Tony. And turns out he is controlling, uh, found a way to bypass the security of the Iron Man suit, and... Uh, control it so when iron man is hired to be a bodyguard for a foreign ambassador he's able to set off his um repulsor blasts and uh kill the ambassador just boom right through his chest so that was insane um not as insane as him saying i gotta find out who this is officer just believe me that i didn't do it on purpose and they say okay you just turn in your suit it was i that took me out of it where i was like what like like Iron Man just killed this guy in front of everyone, and they're like, we're going to trust you to do the right thing here, but anyway. It's fine. The police are very accommodating like that. <coughs> right, so. It's because um... <laughs> they can see the white of his eyes and the white of his skin through the eye holes. Oh, goodness. <laughs> huh. Sh- should I not have? Okay, my bad. 
<laughs> no, <it> just... <laughs> yeah, you, although you pointing it out was definitely the problem. Okay, there. okay. <laughs> Not the fact that it's happening. Um, <laughs> Tony Gosh. Stark. Tony Stark meets with the Avengers and gets some hand-to-hand combat lessons from Captain America. He meets with Scott Lang, Ant-Man, and asks him to um, get some information on Hammer by uh, asking Ant-Man to sneak into prison to uh, talk to Whiplash, who was one of the uh, villains who attacked him, to uh, get some more information about Hammer. And so he flies to Monaco to check out uh, Justin Hammer with uh, Rhodey, James Rhodes. Uh, Bad guys are after him, cops are after him. Um, they get knocked out. Uh, Rhodey is, is uh, arrested by local police, and Tony Stark wakes up on Justin Hammer's big floating island, which was pretty cool as far as bad guy bases go. Felt very Bond. He kind of looks like, I don't know if he's like Vincent Price or Christopher Lee or both, because he's. It feels like Justin Hammer's drawn like a specific person, but I can't quite place it. Right. Him. No, I agree. It's probably one of those two. Yeah, yeah. It, he felt like a Bond villain, which is kind of what they're going for. He did kind of get a little monologuing going there. Um, but once Tony finds out he's been controlling his suit and has a suit there, um, he gets his suit on and takes out all the bad guys. Hammer gets away, um, but um, the he's able to clear his name. And yeah, Tony goes home and starts binge drinking. And then we get to the actual demon in a bottle issue. Um, he gets drunk and yells at Jarvis, who resigns. Um, he has a you know very special episode moment with Beth, who tells him about her husband who was into pills and died, and they don't know if it was because of pills or just because of a car accident. Um, and Tony says, "Help me!" and actually reaches out for help, um, and uh, you know has to help Jarvis because of course his mother is sick and. He needs to pay for her medical costs, but he sold his shares of the uh, Stark Industries stock to pay for it, and that screwed, you know, everything up. And Shield was able to now buy them and is owning more of Stark. So that kind of Tony decides to take take a crack at sobriety, and uh, you know, not let this get him down. He's going to try to maintain control over his company, and uh, yeah, go from there. So um, I felt that this was a good example of comics of that era. I thought that the art was good. Um, You could always tell who everybody was. Um, It was a little bit... Beth Beth could have been an interesting character, Bethany Cabe. Um, But, you know, a couple of times it was just like, oops, where'd my shirt go? Um, (laughs) So that was dumb. Yeah, I... I'm I I'm hesitant to say that I liked it liked it because I I did but I also think that there are some some problems uh, of its time and I I know that uh, you two probably are going to tear it to shreds so let's get at it. I don't know. Do you do you feel inclined to do much tearing, Aldo? Uh no. I I feel I feel about on par with this as John does. I think. Yeah, like I didn't hate this book. I didn't love. I, I, I hate Tony Stark. I don't. I, it's not the book's fault. I mean, it's a little bit the book's fault. It's I mean, it's his book. Okay, maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fair enough. But like at the same time, you can only do so much, right? Yeah. yeah. You can't exactly make a tapestry like a brilliant oil painting 
if all you've got is, you know, little nubbly Crayolas, right? There's only so much you can do with the material that you've been given. Yeah, I would say he's at least he's at least a cheap watercolor set from the grocery store, you know. He's like that Arteza set you buy from Amazon when it's on sale. Yeah. He's like that watercolor painting that you made when you accidentally dipped your paintbrush in the scotch rather than the water to clean it out. <laughs> <laughs> a little for the painting and a little for me. A little for the painting, a little for me. <laughs> That's probably a little unfair because I don't think, like, the story itself is not bad. And no. I just really dislike the character of Tony Stark. Like, what is it? There's this line in there where he's talking to uh, the the Navy and the Navy officer is like, you know, I only wish we could have found concrete proof of Roxon's involvement in this incident. And Iron Man says, oh, yeah, I wish that too, because it sucks when private industry takes it upon itself to seek power by breaking the law. And then he says, to say nothing of what it does to the images of other corporations, uh, yeah. like Stark International. It's like, Stark is, is the spokesperson for big business, right? For big, big yeah. business. And it's just like, okay, cool. If that's the character you want to tell, that's fine. Just don't expect me to like him because I don't care. I I don't know. I think my problem with this book, I think kind of like John was saying, right? Like like the real demon in a bottle story is like at, at the end. And I kind of wish that story from the last issue, from issue 128, had kind of been spread out just a little bit more. Um, yeah. Because if, if he had, like if he had more if there were more incidents where he wasn't quite like if he had been drunk like to the point where he couldn't quite you know like if he had made a mistake because of his drinking but then still prevailed where he doesn't see like you know like if that happened in the first issue like oh man I missed that first missile but I I ended up saving everyone anyway but like too bad about that building that blew up, you know, but nobody was hurt this time where, you know, it gets worse and worse until he has this incident at the, you know, the last issue where, uh, he just like, I can pick up that train. Ah," And then get, you know, poisonous gas comes out and they're like, crap, we got to evacuate five mile radius. Get out of there. Yeah. Get out of here. Iron man. Oh, sorry. Get get out of here. Hancock. I also just realized that Hancock is just demon in a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I enjoyed this more than that movie. I hated that movie because it was two movies and it didn't know what movie it was. And it really pissed me off because potentially it could have been a really, really cool superhero movie. And it was just dumb. Yeah, they should. uh, They should integrate Hancock into the MCU. Also, (laughs) I would watch I I would watch a miniseries about um, Hiram Dobbs. (laughs) Weird, weirdo island squatter and Namor prince of atlantis like that that's the most unlikely friendship ever and i friggin loved it and he's like he nursed me back to health i owe my life to hiram dobbs you stay away from my tiny fragile old human (laughs) (laughs) i've adopted him i've actually been really gosh that was really good this is my old coot (laughs) (laughs) go get your own stark atlantis will (laughs) the fury of atlantis will strike you if you harm him or his moonshine (laughs) You have Jarvis. Why do you need two? (laughs) (laughs) Tell Jarvis to skip a shower and they shall be the same. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Also, something else that was a bit of a surprise was uh, 
how much the Iron Man MCU trilogy was this book. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Replace Bethany McCabe with with Black Widow and you have basically Iron Man 2, right? Yeah. And the whole bit with him escaping the island without his suit of armor, like that was Iron Man 3. Yep. Him, uh, they hinted a little bit at drinking in the second one and didn't really do anything with it. Um, but yeah, like the second issue is just like a recap of, of Iron Man, you know, where we get his whole origin story and yeah. very close. Pre, um, pre-Desert Storm retcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. I think the, uh, actually kind of talking a little bit about, um, sorry, I'm a little bit all over the place with this book. Uh, <laughs> what, what, one of the things I was going to say is kind of going back to that thing about the story of Demon in a Bottle being a little bit more expanded was knowing this was that storyline when his armor was malfunctioning, I thought it was because he was drunk. So did I. Yeah. Okay. Like he was thinking there was a problem and maybe it was both where yes, hammer was interfering with it, but it was also, he noticed things were off because, and he assumed it was a mechanical malfunction and not his reflexes, you know, running the suit. I I think you could, you could say that it's both. Yeah, but I think they kind of, they kind of go out of their way almost explicitly to tell you that no, it was it was Hammer, um, which right. I kind of found a little lacking. I kind of wish, at least I kind of wish at least one of those incidents had been his drinking, and then when when he's talking to Hammer, he's like, "When my boot failed, that was me. When I killed a man, oh no, no, that was the alcohol." <laughs> yeah, Hammer could be like, "No, that was all you." And your scotch. <laughs> I think it is. I think he is trying like Vincent Price. I think that's what they're going for. <laughs> I just was flipping through again. Oh, and Tony is like straight up Charles Bronson. Yeah. To the point really where like is. I was reading his. Oh, nothing. I was just wondering. Like I was reading his lines as Charles Bronson in my head because <laughs> it's straight up like that's the look that he has. And I know that like you know he'll change depending on whoever like the leading man is of the day. But I um. Just as a side note, I did save some panels that I should just um, put into our chat because they made me laugh so hard. They were just ridiculous. You know, where it's it's just dated enough, you know, but it's still fun. Like, I, I think the comic still works. I think it's, you know, still a good story. But there were a couple of panels that were just really funny where it was like, See, Albert, I told you it was a flying tank and it's coming right at us. But, but it can't be. This is first class. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also like the bit with... Uh... With the old lady, he pushes like away from stuff like twice, multiple times. Mm-hmm. I, when mm-hmm. I was when I was doing a little bit of research, apparently that's a lot more recurring than just these issues. That happens like a few more times, apparently. That that seems on brand. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I mean, um, a little bit. Yeah, I like that the bad guy that he escapes from in his in his origin story. Meanwhile, I shall amuse myself at my favorite sport, wrestling the local peasants with the survival <laughs> as their, of their entire village as the prize. It's like, he might as well be like, and then I shall boil a basket of puppies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. You know, who, you know who Iron Man looks like in this, actually? Uh, Burt Reynolds, but not like real Burt Reynolds. Celebrity <laughs> Jeopardy Turd Ferguson Burt Reynolds. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny hat. It's a you lost me a celebrity hat. Jeopardy. Honestly, with that reference. Do you not want Aldo? Come now. No. No. No? No. Steven, can I talk to you for a second? Oh, I don't normally get called into these sidebars. Okay. <laughs> okay Steven. 
hey, it's possible, I think, with the just slight age difference, um, that uh, Aldo's just full of crap. We've got to do something about that and share Saturday Night Live Celebrity Jeopardy bits. I think it's a shame, you know, for whatever reason, uh, he's not down with uh, uh, Celebrity Jeopardy because, I don't know, all the Sean Connery stuff just makes me, like, it just tickles me so. And uh, I don't want to... I don't want to continue a podcast where we're, uh, we're not all on the same page, okay? Celebrity Jeopardy's not that good, John. <laughs> what? <laughs> Top 10 anime betrayals! <laughs> no! Welcome to Miss Mojo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm so hurt. <laughs> I'm it's, so I, don't, I don't watch it because I'm... It's really funny. I don't watch it because I'm young. I don't watch it. Wait. I don't not watch it because I'm young. I don't watch it because it's Celebrity Jeopardy. No, it's Saturday Night Live bit. I don't, I'm not talking about oh, actual oh. Celebrity Jeopardy, right? I thought you were. No, why would Seriously? I watch? I'm not a I'm not a yeah. septuagenarian. I don't okay. watch game shows like. Okay, that. well, if it makes you feel any worse, I I only watch the SNL digital shorts that have Andy Samberg in it. Okay, well that's. Oh, I mean, that actually does make me feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> That is all the exposure I want to Saturday Night Live. But the celebrity... Okay, 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 okay. Aldo, come over here. <laughs> oh, all right. good old last yeah, Go away, Steven. Screw Steven and everything he stands for. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. That's really fun. Okay, it's really funny. They're really funny. They do, They like Daryl Hammond plays Sean Connery. It, it, it'll just make you giggle. It's hilarious. No? Am I alone? Yeah. I mean, they're fine. <sighs> like, okay, if you want so... me to sit here and, like, defend it? Nah. It's, it's fine. Whatever. Well, this is an odd moment to to confess something, but for my final project of uh, uh, English sophomore year, that that's, I, di- I filmed my own Celebrity Jeopardy starring characters from books we read because my teacher foolishly told us that our project just had to involve the literature we studied that year. And so I played all the parts, and I edited the whole thing, and it was a, it was a, not a bad, uh, not a bad spoof, but uh, it'd be wasted on philistines like yourselves. So never mind, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sorry, buddy. Speaking of Turd Ferguson, do we have anything to say? Anything more to say about? Uh, oh, I've got something else to say. Is it blizzards calling people? Uh, you rentable clod pate. Because I'm going to start calling people that. <laughs> oh gosh, I I kind of dug the the hokey dialogue. In, you in will die, books. you gravy sucking pig. How about the uh, the henchmen in Monaco with their French accents? That was oh gosh, uh, the the after uh, Stark gets kidnapped and Rhodey is is confronting the the Monaco authorities and all of the people are yelling at him. We know you Americans suck. I've seen Tricky Dick. It's, yeah, I was like, ooh. No, the thing I was going to point out is how after um, the the ambassador gets killed, how Iron Man totally blames it on Bethany. Oh yeah, that was a that was a real Richard Nixon move. Yeah. <laughs> a real a real tricky dick. <laughs> Seriously, but no, like that's the thing is I think you are supposed to. Uh, as T Pain says, blame it on the a- 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 alcohol. Because in that, <laughs> in the frame where he says that, Stark is like pointing at the camera. He's pointing at Bethany, and he's like, 
Look, Bethany, I'm tired and I'm frazzled and I'm sick of your blaming my bodyguard for a job you botched. Uh, and, you know, the most prominent thing in that picture, other than his, you know, ridiculous mane of hair, is the little glass of scotch or whatever that he's got in front of him. Mm -hmm. So I think you're supposed to attribute a lot of his more erratic behavior to his alcohol, but it's not explicit, which is what I think makes this frustrating. And I think the reason that all of these stories leading up to the final issue of Demon in a Bottle are included in the Demon in a Bottle storyline is because it helps us to understand who Bethany is as a character, which is important for this story and I don't think anything else within the history of Marvel Comics. I've never heard of this character. Yeah, and she's she's interesting and like there there could there was potential to do so much and then I guess she was like his shoulder to cry on, you know. Um, right. And, and was able to help him in the last issue there. But it seems like, yeah, like, you know, he does not treat her the way she should, she deserves. Do, do you think, Seriously. do you think when he needed help, he, uh, he reached out and touched Beth? Uh, ew. Reach out and touch I mean, Beth. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it is, although. <laughs> I think, I think they, I think there is, it's implied, you know, they uh, stay at a hotel and. No, it's not mentioned. Mrs. Arbogast is not happy. She's a bit of a prude. Uh, anyways, Beth was uh, Iron Woman at some point. Uh, she was War Machine 2.0. Oh. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, I'm skimming her wiki and I'm just looking at the pictures. <laughs> yeah, like I, I did the same thing. I went through and looked at everything. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because she apparently has played a lot of big roles in Iron Man stories, but nothing, no cultural penetration outside of this story <laughs> that I, that I can think of. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of these covers. I think my favorite is 127, where it's Iron Man alone against the super army. Um, some great poses in there. Classic, um, classic comic book stuff. Um, a lot of these bad guys that Hammer throws at uh, Iron Man actually come up again later in a Spider-Man and crap. What's the? It's a really lousy team. Oh dang it! We read them when they kind of rebooted them. New Mutants. No, not mute. No, not New Mutants. No, uh, uh, New Warriors. Yes, Sorry. thank you. Yes, um, Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man New Warriors crossover. Like they they like follow the bad guy to the secret base and then. They're all divided into different like rooms in this place, and they're all attacked by some of these same characters. Is is there a secret base on Coney Island? No. New warriors cool, come out to play. <laughs> come out and play. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> hey, we also read Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom. <laughs> Wait, are we done with Iron Man? Are we? Well, I don't know. I John seems pretty intent on moving on. No, I just I don't know what else to like. I mean, that's fair. I I I also don't have that much else to contribute, other than apparently Beth was pretty prominent in the 2018 Tony Stark Iron Man series. So, that's, was that a comic series? Yes, I haven't heard of that. It's, one. Called, it's called Tony Stark Iron Man, as, as opposed to David Jocasta Iron Man. <laughs> Anyways, that's 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 all I had to contribute. In the end, Tony chooses not to drink and, and overcomes his 
booziness, his booziness, if not his douchiness. So, <laughs> I do have to say about you know him going through his uh, cleansing process, I did kind of appreciate the reality of him kind of falling back into it like almost immediately. Not because like I want to see him stumble, but because that's that feels realistic, right? Because you can you can be clean, you can clean yourself. But like a big moment of weakness or or a big event like that, I think for a lot of people, it's like an immediate reaction to just go back to what you know. And so for them to portray that and him having to go through that struggle of picking again, right? I thought that was thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. You know, it's the, you know, he thinks he's doing well and he's overcoming it. And then he, he goes and harasses this banker and busts up his office in his suit. And, uh, then he finds out his stock has been sold and he's going to lose control of his company. So it's like, he gets hit from an unexpected angle there and yeah, like wants to go right back to booze after that. You know, he, he had been tackling the problem one way, but then when he got hit from another angle, you know, he almost, he almost gave up. Yeah. I did. I did appreciate that. Um, Tony Stark's immediate, uh, plan B when not alcohol is, uh, violence. (laughs) So, <laughs> you know, probably not the healthiest or the most uh, sane person in the Marvel roster, but, you know. No, I, I really like, I don't know. I think this story kind of, to me, helps paint the picture that Tony Stark is kind of a relic uh, of a certain perception of heroism and masculinity that doesn't really endure anymore. Like, he reminds me, I, I think the... Bond references earlier are apt because he reminds me of James Bond in yeah. a way that's not entirely like it's not entirely unflattering but also James Bond is not really I know I know John you really like the Bond movies oh um, acknowledging that like you get a little eh, cringy when you watch some of the old ones and I used to like I heard a podcast where they there's a whole James Bond podcast I like with some funny people on it and they went through and with, like they had guests on who sang the praises of casino royale and how great it was and then they had guests the next time or the week before i forget with uh goldfinger which was it came out in 63 and um yeah the misogyny alone makes it really difficult to watch now like with a with a current perspective and at first i was like hey shut up you're just you're just you know making fun of this classic like that's the bond movie it's a classic it's the one and then watching it again you know, trying to um, not make excuses. I'm like, oh gosh, this is bad. <laughs> it's yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I love Bond, but yeah, it is a troubled character that I think they'll have to, you know, figure out something like some way to still make that work without it being all about you know. They even say like women as disposable pleasures, you know, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, cold blooded murder and stuff. Tony Tony kind of does that, yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd like to quote my favorite, one of my favorite um, artists of the new generation, uh, Epic Lloyd and Ice Peter. Um, <laughs> I like to swing too, but Doctor No means no, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's really good. Have you guys Have you guys oh, seen that? Uh, <laughs> the, the, Not that one. That's brilliant. <laughs> 
That's yeah, I like that one. It's uh, Austin Powers versus James Bond. It's a good one. Anyways, <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, like in that big crowd of villains that uh, Iron Man fights on Justin Hammer's, uh, basically a helicarrier kind of. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, there it hella is... comfortable is what it looked like. <laughs> like, there there are some, some characters that I actually recognize in there. Like, Beetle is yeah. a character that comes up in other contexts that I've seen. Whiplash. Like, I think he's in the Thunderbolts, Whiplash, of course. And then there's also the Maneater, who is a woman whose name is the Maneater. And <laughs> all of her dialogue is about how she doesn't like Iron Man because he's a man. And it's like, uh, don't don't love that. Yeah. Yeah. Straw man feminism is is not great. Well, wouldn't it be straw woman? Yeah. That's not straw any better. Not in this one. There's a porcupine <laughs> man though. Straw person. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I don't know. I don't think this book is again. I don't think this book is bad. I I like the art well enough. I think it's got. Um, Really interesting coloring choices throughout. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually really like and kind of miss the almost cheap-looking coloring that a lot of these older comics got. Because mm-hmm. I think it has a lot of character to it in the way that contemporary coloring doesn't tend to. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I can't help but think about how Iron Man is, you know, this womanizing capitalist cheerleader in... And we're reading this, you know, in a time when the shortcomings of uh, capitalism have never been more apparent. Oh. Yeah, again, like, not not saying let's, you know, burn the system down entirely, but it's just like, I think there's a reason Iron Man tends to play more of a villain role in contemporary stories, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this is, at the end of the day, this is a story of a man who has a lot of confidence and that confidence isn't really uh, supported by his habits. He indulges in something really destructive, and it winds up at least partially destroying him. So, I don't know. That's a decent little story. I think there's a reason that Demon in a Bottle tends to stick out. And part of it, I think, is the cover. It's a very memorable cover. Yeah. Five O'Clock Shadow's real scary. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I've said my piece on this book now too. I don't, I don't really have that much to say about it. So maybe we do move on now. Yeah, maybe we uh, do. We've added another five minutes of content. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, gotta stretch that uh, listener time, I guess. <laughs> on 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 PodTube, you know, the premier podcast YouTube website. Oh god! <laughs> so Aldo, why don't you stretch that content out for us and and. <laughs> summarize the book you just read yeah uh so i read this book about um two and a half hours ago (laughs) (laughs) okay so my excuse for that (laughs) my excuse for that is it's not so i typically get the comics from the the website uh because i don't like because i don't have a tablet and the tablet i have is a computer so it's not really a tablet it's just a thin computer that overheats uh so for some reason triumph and torment a Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom crossover comic or graphic novel uh, written by Roger Stern and art by Mike Mignola uh, was not available on that. So I had to read it on my phone and I uh, procrastinated that uh, till like the night before and 
two hours, two and a half hours ago. Um, so that so Triumph and Torment is a, is a bit of an origin story for Doom, and I guess a little bit for Doctor Strange because uh, a couple things that are kind of important to both characters happen here. Uh, we get the background on Doctor Strange as he uh, as we learn about his past, about his mother and his father. And him obtaining like some of his mystic powers that he learned from not the uh, what's his name? The ancient Genghis. Yeah, I think that's what they call him. Yeah. Yeah. Not from him because he doesn't teach anymore. Uh, but he sends him to like a different like a monastery type of thing where he learns and then like enslaves the monks and, and forces them to make him a suit of armor that is apparently uh, like heat soldered to his skin. Which is kind of a disturbing yeah, that's, that's thought. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Doom waits for nothing. Uh, and pain is, is is like love. And he doesn't need it. <laughs> but apart from that, we also get a lot of insight to how he kind of rules his country. How he came into power. Um, we learn about him kind of becoming, I guess, like a better person. Because when he first meets the Genghis... He's like, you old fool, and throws him. And then, like, when he meets him many years later, he's like, I have learned to be a better man. And it's like, oh, neat. Um, and <laughs> and so part part of the story here is that, you know, many years after that, uh, the Genghis has to summon all of the all of like the supreme mystics to to do like a kind of like a battle royale, except nobody actually hurts each other. And uh, they're summoned by, like, the three, like, gods that, like, a lot of the mystics kind of call upon for power. Um, one of them was, like, Agamotto. One of them was Vishanti. And I can't remember the other one, which was the tiger. Azerath, Metreon, Zinthos. Asha, Hagath, and Agamotto. They are the undying Vishanti. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over that. Azerath, Metreon, Zinthos. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck on that. I was surprised <laughs> the portal didn't open up below me and make, drop me down to where you guys were or something. Just yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Happens when I hear that. Yeah, one one of the one of them is a tiger, and I thought that was neat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no real importance to that. He's the tiger. Um, so anyway, so the, so so their tournament is they they um they put the Genghis in a rock, and, and they have to get him out. So whoever is the first one to do it uh, does that. So Steven, so everybody attacks the rock um, like idiots and because their first instinct is to like just attack it. It's a magic rock. Why, why is that your first instinct? Um, I, I feel like they're not really. I feel like some of them didn't earn their management position, but they like the person ahead of them just uh, quit. Um, <laughs> anyways. So everybody attacks it, and then they turn into like mind-controlled magicians, uh, which doesn't, which is cooler than it sounds, I promise. And and uh, the only people left alive are or unattacked or unzombified are, are Doom and Strange. Uh, Doom has been surviving because even though he has like limited, and he he even admits that he has like limited mystic knowledge. Um, he's been using his tech to like record other people's like stances and like spells and stuff like that. So he's been picking up on, on that stuff. He's been using like infrared to help him dodge like magic attacks. So he's been using like a mix of his mystic abilities and his technology uh, to kind of help give him an edge. Right. 
anyway, so so Stephen Strange is like, hey, Rock, can you can you let him go? That'd be cool. And releases the Genghis, and he's given the title of Sorcerer Supreme. He doesn't he didn't earn it from the Ancient One. Uh, I guess he was just what like super super magician strange or something at that point. Assistant uh, to the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Associate. A sorcerer supreme. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so so he's awarded the title, and he's told that he has to fulfill like a boon to the survivors, right? Anybody who didn't get mind controlled, which happens to be Doom. Doom is the only person apart from Strange who didn't get uh, mind controlled, and he tells he's like, no, I don't want to. He's he's a bad guy. He's gonna want help with world conquest, and Doom is like, nah, I just. Uh, so my mom's in hell, and I would like to get her out. <laughs> so strange is. So my mom's in hell. Just like drop that bombshell in there. Yeah. Like, you need to ride home from the airport or something. <laughs> yeah, you know if you could pick her up, that'd be real cool. She'll be here around five. <laughs> so 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 strange and, and doom uh, kind of go hang out in Latveria for a little bit. Uh, strange teaches them yet more magic to help them prepare for for their journey. Uh, they go to hell. Uh, they hang out. They meet. I was gonna say they hang out with, but they don't. Um, they meet Mephisto, who is the person who is uh, who has his Doom's mother's soul. That's like three possessives in a row, and I hate that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so they so they they do battle with Mephisto. They they outwit him, uh, or Doom outwits him really more than anything. He he pretends to betray Stephen Strange and. And gives them to Mephisto. Mephisto promised him, you know, his his mother and her, and her soul uh, and a body to like go back to Earth. Um, when Mephisto figures out that, or actually not even that, like she just naturally on her own, she rejects him or something. When she realizes that Doom has betrayed his friend to, to for her, and she re- she rejects him, and her body turns back into like stone or rock, and. Uh, Stephen Strange is able to break out with like a little bomb thingamajig that like Doom left on him, so he could break out of this magic ice rock. And they use the fact that his mother rejected Doom, and thus redeemed herself and was able to go back to heaven. And they use that heaven's light to attack Mephisto and escape from hell. And uh, and then they all went their separate ways. The end. The end. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, managed that whole thing without any feet. No, no, no. He drew the Genghis's feet because he said screw cross-legged and levitates. Yeah, but you don't actually see the detailing on the feet; they're shadowed in. No, no, no. Like the first time, in the first shot, the like the first shot. I paid attention to this, Stephen. I always do. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, I was looking at the last one. Oh, yeah, nope, that's a foot with toes and everything. Mike Mignola famously does not like to draw feet. Yeah. And so he avoids it wherever possible. Is he like the anti-Tarantino then? Is that how that works? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, this, is, this is why Tarantino has never adapted a, a Mignola story. Roger, Roger Stern has also been kind of all over in comics. I'm looking up his profile right now. He's done quite a bit for DC Comics. Um, it looks like he did the death of Superman, or at least was part of it. Um, he's done quite a bit of Marvel work. Obviously, we're reading some of some of it right now. 
And he's also done like his own independent stuff, which is uh, pretty cool. I, w- I just wanted you guys to know uh, the editor is Ralph Macchio, but not that Ralph Macchio. Yeah, no, that's one of the first Every bits time. of Marvel trivia I ever learned. Yeah. Is that they had a Ralph Macchio, but he's not the Karate Kid. You know? <laughs> It gets me every time where I'm like, oh boy, what a renaissance man. Oh, oh. You know, every every time every time I hear that factoid, I think of Marvel Zombies. Because there's like an interview with Robert Kirkman. And he makes that joke. And he's like, I couldn't believe I was on the phone with Ralph Macchio, the karate kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. But anyway, uh, Triumph and Torment. I really dig this book, guys. This Me is too. this is uh I don't the the Stephen Strange stuff I could actually kind of take or leave. Uh it's fine. Um I do think that uh Stephen Strange is the less jerky version of Tony Stark and this book doesn't really have him doing that at all. This is a Doctor Doom book to me though, through and through. It's got one of the best portrayals of doom's character i think i have ever seen and the whole thing is summed up on uh i believe it's page 31 oh sorry it's 33 uh doom is standing in front of the fireplace and dr strange turns to him and says if you have worked so long for your mother's salvation why did you subject yourself to the contest of the vishanti why did you never simply seek me out and ask for my help and there's a there's a beat panel where Doom is just like staring into the fire and thinking. And he responds and says, I will bear any ordeal, Strange, but Doctor Doom does not beg. And it's like yeah. Doom sets these ridiculous plans in motion just to get someone to help him with a thing that the person would have done if he had simply asked, but it is not in Doom's character to ask for favors. And that is, I mean, it's over the top and it's ridiculous and it's silly as befits a superhero comic. I love it so much. And the entire story is basically built around that premise. Doom wants Stephen Strange's help to free his mother's soul from hell. And he wants Strange to do it in such a way where Doom does not have to feel obligated to give Strange anything. I think it's really good. Yeah, I... I really liked it too. The thing that stood out to me the most was the art because I, I thought it was incredible throughout. Um, mm-hmm. And but now there's a little voice going, "But there's no feet. There's no feet. There's no feet." <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to the curse of, of of knowing one piece of trivia of, of Mike Mignola's art. You know what? Whatever. Do you see how cool it is when like l- let's go to page forty-seven in the app. Nothing in Hades long escapes the notice of the notice of Mephisto. Pitiful fools! I preserve a very special circle of my kingdom for trespassers. It's such a cool panel. It's yeah, like, you know, the devil. Now, but like Mephisto isn't the devil. He is the he's the devil. He's a devil. He's he's like in Marvel comics. He like does all the things that like you know Satan typically does in in uh, like literature and everything like deals and and uh, torture that sort of thing but is he like isn't there also a satan yeah there are multiple devils in marvel comics and mephisto is one of them i think he's kind of the main one because he pops up the most 
but I know there's another character who is Satan. There is another devil who has, like, a mouth in his belly. I don't remember that character's name, but... Yeah, Mephisto isn't the capital D devil, necessarily. Right. But he's close enough, because he's, yeah. he's doing all the same stuff, but... Yeah, and, and I think it's probably a lot more marketable to just call him Mephisto instead of the devil. Yeah, especially comics with, you know, troubled history where parents are, you know could potentially be against them especially if like oh the devil is in this one you could be like no mom it's mephisto yeah there's still a naked woman who sells her soul to him though so you know <laughs> but but you know him. they cover up they cover up the important bits no they don't they just don't draw them in well, that's what i meant <laughs> <laughs> dr doom's mother was a barbie doll yeah dr doom is my idea of the perfect marvel comics villain or really the perfect supervillain. I, I really do think Doctor Doom is the best villain. I, I think this story does a lot of work for Doom. That bit that we talked about earlier with the mask where, you know, Doom puts the mask on his face before it's done cooling down. I, I remember from, from the trading cards that I had there when I was a kid... Uh, they, there was a set of cards in that collection that were all about the mysteries of the Marvel Universe, and one of them was about Doctor Doom's face. And uh, I think it was from this card where the idea came up that Doctor Doom wasn't actually that scarred until he put the mask on, and it was because of this moment that we saw here where it hadn't cooled down. That's what scarred his face so bad. It wasn't whatever accident it was, because you know we saw that and that was fine. Uh, it's just Doom was so vain that he couldn't wait to cover it up, and his impatience burned him horribly. It's just, oh man, I, I think Doom is such a ridiculously over-the-top character that you can do just the goofiest things with, and then you can have moments like this where, you know, Doom is trying to perform something that is actually selfless, but he can't just do it simply he can't just be selfless he has to make it so that he is the smartest person in the room he has to outsmart everybody in doing it and i think that probably costs him more in the long run uh but it's it's who he is and he can't escape that ego i oh goodness i just freaking love it he he's good and i think once you get into the more like extended doom lore um which is not that's just not about the game. Uh, <laughs> there's some really like there's some really like exaggerated stuff that like would feel out of place with I think most characters, but with Doom it always just seems to kind of fit. Like there's isn't I think you're the one that told me this, Stephen. Like there's a story where like he goes back in time and instead of like finding a way to send himself like forward in time, like he just waits. So, like, technically, Doom is, like, a thousand and something years old? Oof, I don't know that. That sounds good. <laughs> hey, I, I, I know a comic we're going to read in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, you know, I guess I'll figure it out. I'll find it. I got to find the one where we see that his horribly disfigured face is, like, he has a paper cut above his lip, and that's all. <laughs> and he's, he's just so vain that he's like, no, this is horrible. I must hide it. And that's why he wants a mask. Um, at the first Salt Lake Comic Con, they were interviewing Stanley, and he was getting all the same like, "Well, who would win in a fight between?" Oh. 
But he was asked, like, who's your favorite villain? And he said, Dr. Doom. And he said, you know, other bad guys, they're, they're out there breaking the law. Dr. Doom could walk up to a policeman and say, I want to take over the world. And that's not a crime. He just wants to, he just wants to take over the world, you know. Everybody wants to rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all, though. But I, I really like Doom, especially in this. And um, I really have high hopes for Doom being done right cinematically, you know, because I think there's, there's potential. You know, you get the right actor, you get, you know, it could be really, could be really, really cool. As, like, the, ma- the next, like, overarching villain for, like, you know, the next phase of the movies. Like, it turns out, like, ah, you thought Thanos and Loki were bad, and here, here's Doom, and he's worse than both of them. Yeah, I think yeah. I think now that he's back in the in Marvel's hands, it might be better. Um, please don't hate me. Yeah. Please, please don't hate me for what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> I was a little surprised, that, and I don't know. I should have not been surprised. I was a little surprised that Doom was not in the spaceship when they went into cosmic outer space with the Fantastic Four, and that's where he got his powers from. Like they showed in the movie with Jessica Alba. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, that's that's the other thing about Doctor Doom. He doesn't technically have superpowers. He has superpowers in the same way that Batman has superpowers, right? He's just ridiculously rich and technologically superior to everyone else. But he doesn't have super strength. He doesn't have super speed. Like he has magic, I guess. Um but they treat that as almost a separate science. Like Doom yeah. learned how to magic. Not that he was born with this ability or that he would like use this magic relic. He's just, you know, smarter than everyone else and knows it. And he uses his intelligence to basically make the world understand that he is really better than you. Um, the prospect of Doom as a supervillain in a movie is interesting because Doom is also the leader of a sovereign nation. Yeah. And it's one of the more interesting aspects of his character that within the country of Latveria, he is not seen as a despot. Uh, he is seen as a benevolent ruler. And I think there are some stories that push back against that and say, no, there are people in Latveria who despise Doom. But um, he, he's got a little bit of the Magneto situation going on where doom comes from a uh persecuted minority he's a he's a romani uh or a gypsy as they call him in the book that's technically a slur i'm not i don't think i'm supposed to use the word anymore i forget um i thought i thought that was the the preferred term because uh, gypsy's out right romani is is appropriate yeah i think it's gypsy. kind of like the word eskimo like we're not supposed to use that anymore Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, I used it, but I used it for an example. I used it for without reason. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm safe. Aldo, this is this is going to come back and bite you in your Supreme Court justice hearings. I'm just going to tell you now. <laughs> Save your calendars. Save your calendar. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that you believe in me that I would become a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> well, I mean, part of it is, yes, I believe that you can do anything. Also, they've set the bar really low lately, so. Are you kidding me? I thought they opened the bar wide. <laughs> Here in some schools, they're just dropping the bar exam. Oh, gosh, that's true, too. Um, <laughs> Anyways. I, I like that we get an explanation of Doom's mysticism. 
Yes. Because that's always been something where I'm like, well, how does that work into, you know, I didn't ever quite know that whole side of him. Also, not to, you know, double down on the nerdiness or whatever, but uh, Doom is an artificer if you're looking at uh, D&D classes. That's someone who uses magic through their inventions. And I think that's what he's doing <laughs> in some places where it's like, yeah, I'm going to do a magic spell, but I'm not going to be a nerd about it. I'm going to like build this thing that, you know, that, uh, does the same thing or untaps the magic potential of something. You know, it's, it's yeah, uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to shout fireball. I'm just going to shoot you with a fireball out of this cannon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. That's cool. I learned something it's about new, D&D it's today. like the newest class in the fifth edition. Really? <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> it's in, uh, Tell me more, John. <laughs> well, I will, but this is the not the venue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I want to talk about the artwork for a minute, because Mike Mignola is among my favorite artists. So um, good. Generally speaking, I think Mignola is someone who really needs to ink his own work. Mm-hmm. Uh because I think he, but this might just be a Hellboy thing. Because in Hellboy, you know, McNeil is really known for using really dark shadows to yeah. help uh, emphasize the mood. And that doesn't happen here. He, and that's, I think, because the inking is done by Mark Badger, who is also doing the colors. And so this doesn't quite look like Mignola as I am used to seeing him. But there are a couple of things in here that just scream this is the guy who is going to make Hellboy. Uh, and the first thing is during the trial of the Vishanti on page 19, when the uh, aged Genghis uh, like traps himself in these crystals, those crystals look like the, the same sort of like space stone prison that keeps the Odru Jihad in Hellboy. Like that looks like something that would come out of a Hellboy story. And that's just kind of like a neat little moment. And then Mephisto shows up, and it's like, oh, this could be a Hellboy story. This yeah. feels like a Hellboy story. <laughs> Which is why, like, I, I said this earlier, that I that uh, this is the same team that would create Hellboy. I'm probably going to cut that out. But I think that's why I mistook Roger Stern for John Byrne in this, is because that end bit, feels like a Hellboy story. And so it wouldn't surprise me to find out that this was the team that went on and did it, but it's not. It was a different team. Yeah, one, one of the things, and, and I and I, uh, I don't know, like, there were moments where I forgot it was Mike Mignola because it, you know, like you said, it doesn't entirely feel like his stuff, right? Like, they don't, he, there's not a lot of, like, the deep black shadows that he uses typically in, like, his Hellboy stuff, which is the stuff I absolutely love. But when, like you said, when it when they got when they went into like hell or Hades as they call it in Marvel, um, <laughs> when they went there and Mephisto shows up and all the demons are showing up, like to me, that's when I was like, oh yeah, Mike Mignola's on this, because <laughs> um, that's like the moment where it felt the most like him. But the thing about Mike Mignola is he sort of, pri- and I don't say this because like I don't think he's a good artist. I think he's a very good artist, but. It always surprises me how good he is with faces. And there are some really good shots of like close-ups of, of like Stephen Strange's face, especially when they're doing his whole thing where uh where we go back into like his his origin story. 
Mm-hmm. And like you, there's like a lot of distraught faces as he's like regaining his knowledge or not regaining his knowledge, but like he's remembering that he's, he's figuring out he's in a flashback. And a lot of the times he does like these faces where he's like, Oh no, he's like, he turns away the, the guy that that's asking for his help. And he realizes that it's not that, that he was a jerk. And he's like, no, come back. Um, is it, I don't know. The faces are really good. That's all I'm trying to say is Mike Mueller can draw real good faces, regardless of how you feel yeah. about his feet. And <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I really like about Mignola is that he uh, knows when to deploy details uh, and when to kind of gloss over things. For example, uh, page 11, he knows to make the ancient Genghis's or the aged Genghis's face really detailed to kind of get you to slow down on that panel. And then he knows in the very next panel to gloss over the fact that Dr. Strange sleeps naked. Oh yeah. See, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was just the shading of the lines, but it almost looks like, uh, nah, never mind. We don't have to go there. Yep. <laughs> no, but seriously, like the point that I was going to make is that usually from a distance, uh, the character's faces appear very plain. They're there. You, you don't get a lot of defining characteristics in the faces. Uh, he saves that detail for when you need it for the emotional impact for the close-ups. Yeah. Uh, and at a distance, he's working at speed. You know, he's trying to get as much information onto the page as possible. So he tends to gloss over usually the characteristics. Like you'll get just a stroke to indicate the eyebrow and the eye and the shadow under all of it. And that's it. Just one line to communicate all of that. And it works fine. And then when you get into the close-up, you get those good expressions. Even in these these crowd shots, you know, where he's still able to in in very it's like economy of 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 line there, where it's yeah we're not getting a lot of details, but we are getting the expression captured perfectly in you know three lines: a brow, a, a you know, the eyes are slightly changed, or the the mouth is in a, a position that very clearly tells us you know how that character is feeling, without you know trying to do too much in such a little space where it would. It would take away from it if you're trying to like really render this great face on a tiny, tiny little face that it's in the background. It's a waste of time, and it's a waste because um, it won't read as well as dot dot for the eyes and squiggle for the you know the chin for the the lower lip or whatever. That's going to communicate better what the character is feeling. So I think this is this uh, I, this may be some of the best some of my favorite art that we've ever read on this on this podcast yeah if you haven't read hellboy and you like this book there's an easy <laughs> recommendation for you cuz this is kind of what hellboy's like yeah yeah oh, no man. i've always liked mignola's art but I, i've never read uh, hellboy start to finish yeah i've been meaning to to go back into hellboy yeah Oh gosh, I just turned to page 73, uh, where uh, Mephisto, for like the umpteenth time, is asserting his dominance over this entire realm. And he does it by just transforming into like the most metal figure I have ever seen. His face is a skull exploding in flame, and his body is like seven beholders from Dungeons and Dragons. It's just, it is a wild picture it's either within a big cape or behind some stone pillars or something the page before he's like just raw energy and kirby crackles um it's page yeah the oh, page and his he, wicked wicked face yes through it yes, oh god just that's all you get and then he just is like 
this whole void is just opening up and it's just yeah these eyeballs and these you know melting skulls and stuff like that is really cool where it's just like you got nothing on me yeah and while we're shouting out uh, individual creators jim novak doing the letters mm-hmm. when he letters mephisto mm-hmm. it's real good <laughs> Yeah. Like, I don't really have much to say about it beyond that, because, again, lettering is an area where I don't really know that much. But just the the really, you know, infernal word balloons with the emphasis on just the right letters, it's impressive stuff. Um, yeah, I, I really dig this book I didn't, a lot. I have not read enough Doctor Strange to notice... I didn't notice it when we read the uh, Last Days of Magic, but the whenever Strange is shown casting spells, like the effects art that's w- done with that, it felt very much like Steve Ditko in the in like the the. Uh, did we read Doctor Strange's origin or just we did? No, we read. Oh, no, it I'm wasn't. Sorry. It was it was the 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 one story. What, uh, remind me of the title. I'm I'm blanking on it. Oh, you're going to make me do this, are you? Yes, I am. <laughs> it's in the bylaws. The search for eternity! Oh. See, don't, don't you just feel better when you do that? It's so good. It's so yeah. good. I'm not going to lie. That actually felt pretty good. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy you're happy, Stephen. It's its proper name. It's what it's supposed to... Yeah. No, the, the effects looked like that, and so it felt like it was connecting to that. I really enjoyed that aspect as well. But yeah, it doesn't get any better than these these, you know pages with mephisto where they're you know out maneuvering him in spite of all of his power uh very cool stuff yeah i'm a i'm a fan and uh i'm in the doom is the best bad guy camp now so hooray (laughs) okay uh one other creator connection here uh roger he's not the karate kid no he's not the karate kid (laughs) roger stern wrote this story uh, Stern was also the editor on Iron Man for Demon in a Bottle. Oh. At least according to the the uh, credits. Nope. They just confirmed it on the first page of issue 125 of Iron Man. Roger Stern edited. Neat. And then he went on to write uh, Triumph and Torment. Very cool. Neat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ten years later. But yes. Yeah. Oh, it's like exactly 10 years later, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. Does, does it always work in that direction, do you think? Like editing to writing or writing to editing? I don't know. Because it, it seems like a lot of a lot of guys um, in the industry will do both. But Yeah, I don't know, though, because there are, like people who are editing for uh, Marvel Comics right now, uh, I've never seen write the books. Right. Not everyone, but some of them. Like Sana Amanat. I don't know that she's actually written any Marvel comics. Um, she does a lot of editing, but I don't. I don't. I don't remember. I, I looked her up a bunch when I did one of the fill-in episodes for the podcast a while back, and I don't recall writing credits for her. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, anything else we want to say about uh, Triumph and Torment? This is one I would own. I would. I would buy the physical copy, if only to you know, f- fill in more feet. <laughs> okay i think it's time to rank then all right let's rank a diddle <laughs> i'm sorry i don't know what happened I did, me neither 
How do we make it happen again? Uh, no. That was funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how many stories do we have on our list? A hundred and nine. Hundred and nine stories. Okay. Hundred and nine stories ranging from the transformative and the delightful to the problematic. And the Anthem Blue Cross sponsored. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, so where do we want to rank Demon in a Bottle? Listen, I want to put. I want. Listen, my gut feeling is to put it below Wolverine. I don't remember where Wolverine is. But oh, it goes well below Wolverine, I think. Yeah, it's it's good, but not. I don't know. Oh, never mind. I found Wolverine. Yeah, it goes way below that. <laughs> Yeah, for as much as this is, like, a notorious story and a story that people remember, I don't think it's actually required reading. No, I th- well, I mean, just the last yeah, issue. Because you could sum up, yeah, the last issue you could have him read or sum up, be like, oh, yeah, Tony uh, sees that his drinking's getting really out of control and he does something about it. You know, if there's not a lot, oh, and Whiplash shows up a couple of times. Like, yeah, there's not really yeah. too much more to explain. So. I mean, have, have you seen the Iron Man trilogy? You've, you've read this. Yeah. So my, my first thought for an immediate comparison is uh, number 64, which is, John, this The Search, search for, for Eternity! Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's quite as good as that book. But that's, I would put it just like a little bit below that, I think. But that's me. I don't know what you guys think. I think that's fair. Um, I was looking a little higher and then I looked below where I was looking and I was like, oh, I like some of these. Like, I like uh, House of M, uh, Search for Eternity. I don't know. I think this one is easier to follow than that one because that one's bonkers. But yeah, that one has better art. Yeah. And I say that as someone who likes Junior Junior. Uh, I I liked this just fine. This was this was great. I normally like you know kind of grumble about him, but this was this was great. So, yeah, I think I would put it above Eternals and after the Search for Eternity because yeah, I, I was thinking between Demon Bear and Why Stands for Freedom at fifty nine, but then I was like, eh. I gotta remind myself what happened in Why Stands for Freedom. Because that title keeps coming up, and I do not remember it. That's, That's the one where Captain where it Captain Marvel and Spider Man, and he's he, she flies and he clings onto. Her. Is that the same one where she goes back in time to see the old uh, Flying Squadron? No, I don't think so. If it's forgettable, then yeah. No, it, yeah. that's not that one. Okay. Yeah, so I think sixty uh, five. That's where I would put it, and that puts this book above. John Romita Jr.'s art on the Eternals, which I think will satisfy some of you. Look, I'm all for it in this book. It's just not always, not always great. I actually prefer the the Junior Junior art in the Eternals. <laughs> There's a film called Everything Is Illuminated with Elijah Wood, directed by Liev Schreiber. It's about a saber tooth goes, huh? By saber tooth? Yeah. Neat. He's great, and he. And a little other little fact um, of all American actors or non-Russian actors who try to do a Russian accent or speak Russian in movies, he's one of the best. So I think it's part of his uh, heritage is uh, from that part of the world. But anyway, Elijah Wood's character, um, his uh, he's trying to learn more about his grandfather and where he grew up in the Ukraine, and 
is taken around the Ukraine by a guy who speaks kind of broken English, his same age, and his grandfather, who's, you know, kind of getting older and losing his touch, and he insists that he's blind, but he's also the driver of the car. And they have Sammy Davis Jr. Jr., who is their, the, <laughs> the dog that goes around with them, who they <laughs> claim is grandfather's seeing eye bitch, because she's a female oh, dog. This is Sammy Davis Jr. Jr. Um, yeah, it's a it's a movie that's the first half is hilarious because it's real fish out of water funny. Elijah Wood is you know the odd guy out being an a, a, a American and kind of bookish guy you know in the middle of the Ukraine like not knowing anything about it. And then the last half is real sad because it turns out you know the the whole village was wiped out in the Holocaust and that's what he learns about his grandfather and oh it's bad. So just a heads up. Cool. So Triumph and Torment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so just every time you say Junior, Junior it reminds me of of you know yeah grandfather see, seeing eye bitch. I just I I really hope that sticks and just more people call him Junior Junior. Also, I can't yeah, yeah. I can't have been the the first person to have thought up with that. I really can't have. If I am, oh. if I am, hooray! If I'm if I'm not, that's okay. Every time we say Junior Junior, I actually think of Junior Senior, the uh, Danish pop duo best known for their 2002 single "Move Your Feet." Oh yeah, you know I'm all about the Danish pop music. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 stop the beat. I can't 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 control my feet. Stephen, I think Stephen, I think you imagined this or had it come to you in a fever dream. Oh, I wish I had, but no, it's real. <laughs> Anyway, let's talk Triumphant Torment. Uh, I want to I put this up at number 16. Okay, so in between the coming of Galactus and Messiah Complex. Yes. Here's the thing. I was higher than that. Oh, that's fair. That's that's my low point. I don't want to go... I don't. I will not go below Messiah Complex on this book. Yeah. I'll do bows oh, to yeah, no one. And you shouldn't. <laughs> it's... it's uh... So, where I first looked was... Dawn of X Prelude, that's the House of X and Powers of X. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big game changer for the X-Men, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think I prefer that, but only just barely. I think this story is actually really comparable to the Death of Electra story, and I like it a little better. I want to put this at number 12. Yeah. yeah. I Gosh, our, our, top I ten is, our top 10 is so good. And it's, it's so good. And, and I, I wish this, you know, like, I don't know, six months ago, this would have been a top 10 book. <laughs> yeah. If we read this before Spider Island. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's keeping this out of the top 10 for me is the fact that we ranked uh, the House of X and Powers of X books beneath Spider Island. Because I kind of like this better than Spider Island. But I don't think it goes above Dawn of X prelude. So th- I, I, I'm putting it at number 12. That's where I want to put it. In retrospect, I probably would, I don't, I probably would put Spider Island below Dawn of X, and then maybe this. Probably, I mean, this would still be like eleven. I think they're all they're all a bit better than the others in one way, but then maybe a <laughs> bit lesser. You know, it's tricky because some of these big events, when they're done right, are so good, and that's. You know, Dawn of X, Powers of X, and uh, Spider Island are good examples of those. Yeah. So it's tricky when they're right. right there on the edge of the top ten, and it's <laughs> like, how do you how do you break in when you got to acknowledge yeah. like, look at these great events. So you know what's a little funny is you know we have Dawn of X, Spider Island, 
Infinity Gauntlet, and then we have the tape, <laughs> which is There's which is the thing, though, which is so There's small nothing. scale in comparison. I think you know, the tape is really good. Though. No, I, I'm not saying it's sometimes, not. <laughs> sometimes at uh, at fancy restaurants, you get a teeny tiny dessert that you think, well, I could, for the price of this, buy the ingredients to make a thousand brownies. But I just get this one little bite, but it's a perfect bite. Yeah. It took years <laughs> of crafting, and it's made perfectly just for you. And that's the tape. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying the tape is bad. I'm just saying it's almost comical how small scale the tape is in comparison to like the three things that come after it. Um, when you just think of like the scale of like that book in comparison to like the other ones. Um, but You're yeah, it's not as big of a deal as the infinity. Go- oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will just point out that, uh, I have the issues of the tape signed by Matt Fraction, so. You. There you go. Humble brag. From when I was in Portland. <laughs> anyway, so number 12? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's number 12. Yeah. This is a good book. It's Real really, good. It was a lot better than I expected. We'll say that. I. Which isn't to say I went in with low expectations. I think I went in with no expectations. And th- those those non-existent expectations were blown out of the water. Yeah, I think it's a good way to come into a book because sometimes, you know, I notice that with movies a lot. That's why I avoided trailers. You know, back when movies were a thing. You remember places? Remember people? Yeah. Um, movies, I would avoid trailers so that I could get an untainted experience. You know, and nothing would be ruined for me and no expectations. I like my experiences colored like my wine. Deep, <laughs> deep red and disappointing at two in the morning. <laughs> crying. <laughs> Oh, you saw Mortal Engines 2? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they made a Mortal Engines 2? No, I meant as well. You, you I saw, know. Yeah. Mortal Engines is on my list of movies that I really want to see, even though I know it's going to hurt me. Yeah, oh, me too. And it will, because potentially it could have been so cool, and some parts of it still are anyway. And if you want to see the, the lead actor in something that won't make you roll your eyes and go, look at this waste... Um, he he's in uh, Umbrella Academy, and season two is better than season one. Oh, who's he in Umbrella Academy? Klaus, and he does he's amazing in in Umbrella Academy. I meant to start season two of Umbrella Academy the other day, and I wound up accidentally starting over from the beginning. That's you like, know that's a that's, that's fine. probably not a yeah that's not a bad idea because I was forgetting about some of the stuff going on, and so things happen in the second season where you're like, who is this again? What's this going on? You know. Um, mm-hmm. The second season is so good. Hey, with um, with with Umbrella Academy being as good as you guys say it is, uh, does that give you guys hope for the Avatar live action? No. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. Just making sure. Because okay. here's the thing: as good as Umbrella Academy is, I prefer the comic. And I I'm just now starting the comic, and uh, it's really cool. But I've only like read like four pages, and yeah. so it's one of those where like we you can like both. No, and, yeah, and both like you know, the show it seems is doing more of its own thing, but still like is fun and cool to watch. And yeah, the second season's really good because it it doesn't have any of the heavy lifting like the character, like you know we don't have to get everyone's backstory. We don't have to learn who like all the relationships are there, and everyone's kind of doing their own thing for a bit on their own. And so that it's it's more like they're you know we see their 
actions without having to like learn about the character in like a ugh, like mm-hmm. wait I, I went back and watched the first season again with my wife who hadn't seen him before and I was like oh they're, they're wasting so much time with this character when really I want to talk about the, you know the main plot that's going on or this other character and season two I think has more stuff going on and less you know less work to do in the in the backstory plot department like you know that okay I was I was curious because because after after lock and key and after the witcher i just i didn't even bother with umbrella academy i thought people liked the witcher was it not <laughs> i mean was people people like the witcher because people like the witcher because they haven't played the game uh, the witcher 3 is is probably one of the best games that have come out in the last 20 years speaking of things that have come out in the last 20 years <laughs> steven that could be literally it could be just that? about anything Here's what we're gonna read next time. Oh, Stephen, where are you going with this? Uh, we're 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 only gonna read one story. It's a bit of a doozy. Uh, we decided it was time to tackle another event, so we are doing the Avengers versus X Men event from 2012, <gasps> also known as the Dawn of the Penis Five. <laughs> only to you, Stephen. <laughs> no, not only to me. I mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't although, make that up. Although I think I think Stephen fell for the Pen Fifteen Club joke back in elementary school, and he's just <laughs> carrying a lot of baggage into this reading. So we should just let him work it out. And yeah, uh, we're we're here if you want to talk, Stephen. I stole that gag from Jay and Miles. Explain the X Men. Oh. Um, I don't know. Are you sure it wasn't? Are you sure it wasn't Freudian? I'm pretty sure it wasn't Freudian. I feel although, Freudian. Speaking of Freudian. <laughs> Movies with Mikey uh, released a video essay about Bill and Ted over the weekend and pointed out that every time Freud is on screen, he's like holding a corn dog or <laughs> something phallic. He puts a vac- he puts a vacuum valve to his mouth, and yeah, that's pretty clever. And I'd never noticed that in previous. Huh. Movies, and so. I like I wa- I've watched those movies a billion times and now i'm like thinking about it again i'm like oh gosh i'll 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 have to take note of that the next time i see that movie for the first time in my life i had like as a kid like yeah (laughs) jeez as a kid i had to like train myself out of calling socrates socrates because that's (laughs) that's what they called him also uh new thing um words that shouldn't be pronounced like greek words um, I'm going to start pronouncing like Greek words like testicles. That's hilarious to me. <laughs> it's spectac- spectacles. I'm going to put on my spectacles so I can see my <laughs> testicles. Like that's, you can cut all this out, right, Steven? <laughs> it's hilarious. Play that game. I feel like, I feel like you've exhausted the joke yeah. with that one example. <laughs> You, yeah, you peaked. That should, have been my, that should have been my third. I should have done rule of threes and had that. Yeah, yeah. You should have just chosen some other words before you peaked with testicles. Monocle. Because <laughs> there's only one. You can't have monocles because that's spectacles. John Cleese. John- <laughs> <laughs>